Friends, we're in Acts 28, and we left Paul and his friends last week. They were on the ship. They were going to sail from Caesarea to Rome to testify before Caesar, and they got caught in a two-week storm, and the boat was shipwrecked, and they were all at large in the sea. And we picked them up in chapter 28, verse 1, where they wash ashore on the island of Malta. Let me read for us God's word. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Poplius, who received and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Poplius lay sick with fever and dysentery, And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the island, who had diseases, also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put us on board with all that we needed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, will you teach us? Will we open hearts and minds to hear from you, to see truths in your word that are eternal and unchangeable, but they themselves can change us and grow us. And so we ask for that grace now, this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, you know that for the month of November, every November, we highlight outreach ministries in the church. And this is a chance for us to express what we mean when we say we want to be disciple-making disciples in a church-planting church, what we mean when we say we want to present everyone mature in Christ, we want to make disciples who make disciples, And a disciple is someone who is joined to Christ, who is growing in worship, community, and outreach. So I have a vital connection to Christ through the gospel, and I begin to express that in worship, personal, uh, family, corporate worship, obedience to Christ. I express that in community as I build relationships within this church family, and I push one to another towards Christ, and I grow through outreach, Each of us has a spiritual gift to offer a needy city to use those gifts and those experience to reach our city for Christ. That's what a fully formed disciple is and each of us are on some measure and way and track towards that. And so to help us in that discipleship process, we set aside this month and this month is not just all the evangelism that the church does. There are other evangelistic things we do. This month is all about mercy evangelism getting engaged in mercy ministry to the least of these in our city to preach the gospel in word and deed to those who need it. So that's why for the month of November, you're gonna hear about teen moms and incarcerated teens. We heard this morning about youth in the city that need mentorship. And we're going to hear about women who are caught in the sex industry. And I tell you, it is a beautiful thing to watch a member of the church do something that they would not do in a million years in the flesh, but in Christ and by the power of Christ, join themselves to a ministry and pour themselves out for another person. That's a 
a beautiful thing to behold. I had a brother tell me he was running security for the girls through pearls who go into the strip clubs and witness to the women who are there and he was running security in the parking lot and he said, before Christ, I would have been in that club and attending that. But now as a believer, I'm running security. I never imagined that I would be doing something like this. I met a brother out in the hall signing up at the Ezekiel table who said, I'm terrified. And I said, good, you should be. But at least neither of you know what you're doing, so God will bless it. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to watch a believer do that. But it seems like every single time we step out in faith to do ministry, I hear from you and I hear myself saying, I went to be a blessing, I went to give, and I found myself receiving so much. Have you felt that? Have you heard that in ministry? I went to do the giving, but I found myself getting much more than I gave. That surprises us, but it shouldn't. That's God's design for human flourishing. That's a real relationship with another person. And by God's design in the abundant life, we live in relationship with each other, giving and receiving, even when we find it in unlikely places. So in our text this morning, I want us to understand giving kindness and receiving kindness in Jesus' name. So we're going to start with the first, giving kindness in Jesus' name. Now we get this little interlude. Paul is supposed to be getting on his way to Rome, and the ship crashes in the Mediterranean. They wash ashore on Malta, and he's going to spend three months there before they can get another ship to, to head on in safe waters. And while he's there, Paul gets busy serving. He doesn't wait to be served. He gets busy serving. And I count three instances where he throws himself into the service of others. Number one, verse three, he jumps up to gather firewood. He doesn't just wait for that to be done for him. He's the one that does it. Number two, verse eight, he jumps in to heal uh, Poplius's father who is sick. Number three, verse nine, he's caring for all the diseased on the island. They get, word gets out about him and they all come to be ministered by him. And if you know the apostle Paul at all, and you have been paying any sort of attention in the three years that we have been in the book of Acts, then you will know and you can bet money that there was not a single instance where Paul healed somebody, spoke with somebody, sat around the fire on an evening with someone that he did not also name the name of Christ early and often. Paul was a witness, and even just hearing the kindness that he's giving, we can safely assume he is giving kindness in Jesus' name, right? That's what he does. And in doing so, he practices what he preaches. Paul had told the elders in Ephesus in chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than receive. And so he puts that into practice and he gets busy serving. Now, friend, I think there is a direct correlation between the kindness we get from God and the kindness we're then willing to turn around and give to another person. I think those are directly proportional with each other. In fact, Jesus said as much in Luke 7, 47, when he says, he who is forgiven little loves little. If I perceive that God has forgiven me little, like there wasn't much to forgive, 
or his grace is not that great, then I will turn around and love people less in direct proportion to the amount I feel like I did not get from God. There's a direct correlation, getting love and forgiveness and kindness from God and turning around and having that to offer to other people. Which makes sense when we think about some homes that some of us grew up in because I've sat with you and heard the story of what have, might have been a traumatic home where Jesus' name was named in my home, but it was such a cold, harsh place. We went to church weekly and we were so cruel to each other. And if you experience that in your home, that's what Jesus is saying in Luke 7. If you get little love and forgiveness from God, you have very little to give to each other. Because religion is a cistern and the gospel is a well. Religion is a cistern and the gospel is a well. Religion is a cistern. A cistern is just like a big bucket in the ground that collects rainwater, which works really well if it is raining every single day. If I get rain, then I have water in my bucket and I have water to share. But if it doesn't rain, I don't have water. And that's sometimes how we treat our relationship with God. If I get from God, I'm willing to turn around and give to another person. But if I perceive myself being slighted by God or not getting from God, well then, there's very little water to go around. Religious cisterns are always lacking water to share. Jesus made this point rather bluntly in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, do you love those who love you back? If you do, big freaking deal. Even pagans do that. Anybody knows how to love somebody who loves them back. Anybody knows how to practice hospitality with people who have you over to their house. What is supernatural, what actually needs the Holy Spirit is that you become the kind of person who could love those who don't love you and could love those who can't pay you back and to love those who will not go on to celebrate you or recognize you. If you can do that, you're no longer in the flesh, you're in the spirit. That is what I have come to do. Religion can't do that. The cistern cannot do that. Only a well can do that because it is an open system going down into deep and living water that never runs out. God calls me to do something, I throw the bucket in the well, and it will always find water there, and I will always have something to share, because he tells me in Christ, his mercies are new and fresh, Every single morning, great is his faithfulness. It's like manna, I always have it, and I always have it to share. The gospel makes it available to me so that supernaturally I can then share it with anyone else who needs it. When Paul gives kindness in Jesus' name in our text, and when we turn around and give kindness in Jesus' name in our city, we start looking and sounding a lot like Jesus. And I ask you, believer, if he is your pride and your joy, what is sweeter in your life 
than to look and sound more and more like your Savior. That's our goal. Didn't Jesus himself say, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? Matthew 20, 28. And of him, Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And this Advent, we will marvel at a Jesus who made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death. Philippians chapter 2. And that last note reminds us that kindness is a cross-carrying ministry. Kindness comes with a pinch. Kindness comes with sacrifice. Lives of generosity will feel the pinch of cruciformity. It's going to feel like carrying a cross when we serve others. But so be it. Let Jesus' name be praised. We give kindness in Jesus' name. And if you're a believer, this should not be a surprise to you. Nothing that I've said so far should be a surprise to any of us. You should have read this in the fine print when you were converted. You were gonna live a life that gives your life away to other people. We will give kindness in Jesus' name. But the second point might actually be a little surprising that we're going to get kindness in Jesus' name. Now that's all over the text and you could actually make the argument that Paul gets more in our passage than he gives. The text makes much of people making much of Paul. They are stumbling over themselves to serve him. You heard three ways that Paul served other people. Now here's three ways that Paul himself gets served. Number one, he's shipwrecked, washed ashore in October. He's cold and he's wet. And what happens in verse two? The native people showed us unusual kindness by building a fire. Number two, verse seven, the head of the island received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Now in those two instances, that wasn't like Paul did something nice and these pagans did something nice back. They were the ones that went first. They did something kind for Paul first and only then was he able to return their kindness. But then in verse three, after he does serve the island, verse 10, they honored us greatly and put on board with us whatever we needed the lost pagan world is serving the Apostle Paul and his 275 friends. Now, wait a minute. I thought Christians had the corner on kindness, right? I thought we did the giving and the world did the receiving. I thought anything that good that could come came from within these four walls and it went outside out there to the dark and lost and hurting world and this was a one-way street, us to them and we would forever be the givers and they would be the receivers. And yet I have been humbled with that idea again and again and again and again when I have realized how much the world has to surprise me and teach me about generosity and hospitality. Surely you have felt that. Surely you have been surprised at a neighbor who's willing to drop anything to help you and serve you. Maybe you have sat at the table of some of the poorest of the poor in the world and they have piled your plate high and they don't know where their next plate is coming. 
Our missionary service in South Asia could be described as blundering into the kindness of nationals who would teach us where to get our food and how to prepare it and how to cook it because we didn't know how. We have received enormous, enormous kindness from others around us. And I'm not always comfortable with that. I like sitting on this side of the table, the giver's side. And I like being able to design the terms of what I'm giving to somebody who needs to receive from me because that empowers me and it gives me a position that I can use. But being served is a vulnerable thing. Being served exposes my needs. Being served is a humbling station to say, I don't have what you are willing to give me. When Paul washes ashore on the island of Malta, cold, wet, shivering, without anything to his name, there is nowhere to hide his need This man who is so desperate to reach the world for Christ by giving his life away has to take the humble road of being served first. I think by God's design, that's how true friendships are formed. If I'm always the giver and you're always the receiver, then I'm in danger of the pride of that relationship of being paternalistic and condescending condescending and patronizing. I'm the have, you're the have not, and you are forever indebted to me. But if I have this ministry that is mutually serving each other, I serve you, you serve me, there is great and beautiful dignity in that, however it looks like and wherever it comes from, and there's a beauty there. It's amazing how quickly doors open when we as believers admit to failure, admit to need, and ask for help. It's amazing how that endears us to other people. I had a professor at Westminster, John Leonard, who was himself just a phenomenal evangelist, and he wrote a book on evangelism called Get Real, Sharing Your Everyday Faith Every Day. And in class and in the book, he would make the point regularly that most of us are hesitant to do evangelism, right? Nobody like jumped up this morning and was like, man, I can't wait to get in an awkward gospel conversation. We're, we're terrified of that and we want to avoid it at all costs. I read Jonah this morning in my devotions and that describes Monday through Saturday, right? Running the opposite direction. And usually we don't do it because we realize there is a great deficiency in us. If we felt competent, we would do it, but we feel like we are lacking so much so we don't do it. And we usually say we aren't blank enough. I would do evangelism, but I'm not smart enough or I'm not biblically literate enough or I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't pray enough, or I'm not moral enough, or I don't set a great example with my family enough, and because I'm not those things, I don't really belong or deserve to get out there and share this gospel with other people because I feel like a hypocrite. And Leonard said, great, you are, and those things are true of you. Why don't you start with what you're not instead of always trying to start with what you aspire to be, 
why don't you start with the neediness you have now, which was the very thing that drew you to Christ, instead of the mature believer you hope to be someday? Can you imagine the power of owning that before a watching world? One of the things I hate about living downtown is how close our backyards are to each other. So when I'm standing on my porch and I'm screaming at my children and I have lost my ever-living mind, there are at least five families who can hear everything I'm saying. And after I've had an outburst, the last thing in the world I want to do is then knock on a neighbor's door and share anything about Christ. And maybe that's the first thing I should do. Y'all, I'm so sorry you had to hear that. I have a real anger problem and I had to confess that to God and to my kids and now to you because you had to hear it. Praise God, he is gracious and generous and kind to me and he will forgive me. Can you imagine that kind of power in starting with what you're not and starting with what you need instead of starting with what you have? That's the beauty of the gospel and the world is desperate to hear that. Let's lead with our weakest foot. Let's lead with the things we don't have. Let's ask non-Christian neighbors to hold us accountable to what Jesus told us we should be doing. That would be a beautiful thing to put ourselves in the debt of another. There's gospel power in that. Because when Paul receives kindness in Jesus' name in our text, and when we receive kindness from other people in Jesus' name in our city, we also start looking and sounding like Jesus in that too. You know, Jesus got served a bunch. He didn't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm here to be served. He already said, I'm here to serve and not to be served. But he received the kindness of others early and often in his ministry. He got invited to parties. He got invited to at least one wedding. He got invited to speak at synagogues. He was constantly being invited over for hospitality and dinner parties. He got beds to sleep in. In fact, he was invited to so many events of eating and drinking. He got the false reputation of being a drunkard and a glutton. It wasn't beneath him to ask for favors. He needed to borrow a boat from somebody he wanted a drink from a well. He had to ask for a cult and an upper room. He had to ask for somebody to watch after his mother after he was gone. His entire ministry was financially supported chiefly by wealthy women who followed him. Jesus was shown incredible kindness and more often than not, not those who got to show him kindness were endeared to him all the more. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So as we hear these ministries displayed this month, and whether we're gonna jump into one of these mercy ministries that we hear, or it just reinvigorates us for what we're already doing or where God already has us serving, let this be a season in which we are inspired to say, I will give kindness in Jesus' name and I will receive kindness in Jesus' name for the glory of God and for the good of this city. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive us for receiving stingily from you and from others. 
Let us open our hands wide and get more of your grace and more of the grace of our neighbors and let us be able to drink deeply from that living well and turn it and share with another. Mobilize us as a church, Lord, to be active in our community and to give the grace that we have received. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.